cliffcentral.com We're going to cry, laugh, and love. And we're going to do it together. The Life with Libang podcast. That's right. Uh, welcome to Life with Lebang, courtesy of cliffcentral.com. It's always nice to hang out every week as we do. We get to chill. We get to get to know each other. We chat and we connect and we bond. And most importantly, we learn from one another. I'm a huge believer in sharing experiences and learning from one another because that is the best way to grow. I think we're on episode 45, which is very exciting because that means we're almost at episode 50. And I said a couple couple of couple of episodes back that we're going to do something special on episode 50 whether it's we get like a bit of a cake to celebrate or I don't know we'll pop some champagne I don't know but we'll do something nice just to you know mark this the, the milestone I mean doing 50 episodes is it, it hasn't been easy it's been very interesting it's been very like life-changing so I'm excited but we will cross that bridge when we get to that bridge. For now, let us, uh, you know, be in this moment. Let us be present. And if it's your first time listening, welcome. My name is Lebang Khosana and I'll be your host all the way, uh, for the next hour. We're just going to be hanging out. We're going to be chilling. Um, we're going to be speaking about something that, you know, it happens. You can't avoid it. You can't ignore it. In fact, I did an episode just a couple of weeks ago. I think it was last year, actually. And I'd spoken about dealing with grief. Uh, as as an adult, you know, how exactly you go about it. Um, you know, we all know when you go to Google and you type, how do I deal with this? They'll give you the, you know, the basics, the seven, I think the seven blah, blahs of grief, and the stages, and there's this, and there's that, and there's who, and there's how, and there's blah, and there's blah. But, um, I, if I remember correctly, we, we, we got a, a message from a listener and she said it was during that post COVID period. I think she had lost around four family members. It was a very difficult time for her. She lost her grandmother and then she lost her father uh, to COVID. And that same year, she lost her, her younger brother, her sibling. Uh, and then in around February or another time of the year, she, she, she was just, she was dealing with a lot of loss. And during all of that, you know, life was going on. She still had work. She still had this and that. So, um, that, that podcast is available for you to obviously engage in and listen to it. It'll probably assist you in some healing and just in some pointers on how to deal. And so today what I want to do is I just want us to really take it a bit of a step further. And pretty much I'm interested today in putting together a guide for you uh, to help you unpack the concept of death to a child. Because death affects us all. It comes, it's a part of life. We can't avoid it. It's just now you're never really ready for it. You're never really prepared for it. You never really know... Um, how it's going to affect you. In fact, because you're so unprepared, you're not thinking about, oh, when this happens, this is what I will do. Only in such a case where somebody has been ill or the doctor maybe says to you that, oh, you know, this person only has four weeks left. You've got four weeks to prepare. But if somebody just leaves um, and you weren't expecting it, then, you know, how do you maneuver that? And in some cases, there are children involved. Either that person has a child or... The person that has passed is your sibling and now you have to become the parent. There are many ways that children are affected by death. And I remember when I was younger and I lost some family members around me, I'd lost an uncle here and a cousin there and I'd lost a sibling. I was very, very young, but I remember just not really fully understanding the concept of what was going on. 
And what I specifically remember now because I'm an adult is that I remember my parents struggling, not knowing how to chat to me about it. They were like, um, uh, 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 uh. So, <laughs> so my hope is that after we chat today and after we share today, you can use this episode of Life with Lebang as a guide to unpacking the concept of death when it involves a child, where there's a child involved that was directly related to the person that is no longer with us. How will you go about doing that? It's tricky, it's tough, but we cannot avoid it. So I'm happy to introduce today's guest. She is such a cool lady. Like, to, I'll be honest with you. So the, the show was supposed to start, <laughs> the show was supposed to start three minutes before now. But we were just having so much fun just sitting and talking and laughing and just like chatting about life. And we actually started a bit late. So whoops, sorry. <laughs> Our bad. We really were just having too much fun. Her name is Karen Giles and she's an educational psychologist and the owner of Child Play Therapy Center. She furthered her training at Fordham University in New York and has gained invaluable knowledge through this experience. I mean, that's crazy. Throughout her career, Karen has had a special interest in working with children under the age of five, autism, spectrum disorder, development delays, and other forms of neurodiversity. Therapeutically, she works from a client-centered approach and adapts the process based on the needs of the child. So Karen, it almost sounds like you personalize your your service to those in need. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's we, we work from, yes, what we call client-centered approach, meaning yeah. we are led by the clients and what they need. Sure. So we have our techniques and our approaches yeah. that we will adapt each, each session, each process to what that particular child needs. Yeah. Well, welcome to Life with Lebang. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. It's so nice to have you uh, on cliffcentral.com. Is it your first time on Cliff Central? It is. Oh, well, let's, hopefully it's not your last, uh, because I, like, I'm the kind of person that like invites people back all the time. So welcome to the family, basically. Thank you. And, and, and next time, you know, I'll keep an eye on the clock. When, yes. When we're chatting. When we're just chatting and like living our best lives while people are waiting to hear from us. So, so Karen, I mean, this obviously isn't the easiest conversation to just spark, but, um, I, I'm not afraid of having difficult conversations just because they need to take place and it'll keep us honest and it'll keep us pure, I believe, as human beings. If we just talk about some of the difficult things that we are constantly avoiding, you know, um, and, Going, experiencing the loss of a loved one is obviously extremely difficult. It's shocking. It's upsetting. It, it can anger us in some places. But now when a child is involved and you are either a parent or a guardian who is left to maybe look after this child or tend to this child who has just lost a parent, you know, what is the simplest way of explaining death to a toddler or, or a developing child, just a very young child? So I think the, the most important thing is to be honest and to be accurate. So okay. we really want to be direct in terms of our answers. So avoiding euphemisms of passed away, never woke up. Instead, we want to be saying, um, granddad died. He was sure. sick. Yeah. His heart stopped working and he died. So to really give them the facts because while we need to, and it's really important that we do it in a gentle and caring manner, we really want to be clear with our children so that they don't have misunderstandings or misconceptions because that's what causes the fear. Oh. That's what prompts the anxiety. So if we can be honest and accurate about what happened, you know, the same thing if it was an accident, for example, there was an accident. This person died. You know, they were injured and they died. That 
that gives the child a lot more more understanding in terms of of what happened and to not fear the unknown as sure, much. sure. But you know, like we, I don't know. I hear that, and you're probably right because you're the professional. But we we usually like to protect our children from the hard facts, from the 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 straight up truth that you know, dad got shot, yep. and he's no longer here. Somebody took a gun and shot dad in the head. If you have to say it like that, isn't that like a bit more difficult to then unpack? For the child, like, I understand the concept of being that direct and saying, look, this is what happened just so that the child can make sense of it. But can the child make sense of it if you're that direct? So I definitely hear your concerns. And it it is important that we balance truth and accuracy with unnecessary detail. So I'll use your example of a shooting. They can know that people do bad things and dad got shot. They don't necessarily need... I want to say the the imagery sure, around sure. how that, yeah. because you're right that yeah. will be harder for them to handle. Of course, um, I think I think part of the difficulty that we as parents sometimes feel in being so so direct is wanting to protect our kids. Sure, and I think you're exactly right when we say when you say that that we we almost sugarcoat it to try and protect them. But in using vague language, we give them more questions than answers. Sure. And I remember years ago having a little girl um, in therapy who was scared to go to sleep because how they described death to her was somebody went to sleep and never woke up. Oh, my word. And so, you know, not every child is going to interpret it that literally, but that's always stuck with me in, in terms of we need to be so careful what, what additional questions or additional unknowns are we creating. And that's what we want to try and protect our children from. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's okay to say you don't know what happened, if that's the case. Um, but to, yes, really try and just be be honest with them. Yeah. And sometimes as a parent, that means saying the hard stuff. It is. It is. Like, yo, I, I, I shrivel up <laughs> at the thought of, like, even my little, my, my toddlers even watching anything violent, anything with guns, anything. Like, when, when their dad is busy playing PlayStation and they're just in the room lingering, I'm always like, get out. You shouldn't be even seeing this. So now I can't imagine having to sit and explain to them that, you know, this and this and such a thing has happened. So in my culture, um, there's a, there's a thing that we were taught to do. Uh, when a baby or a toddler loses a parent, we almost, um, we speak to them, but while they're sleeping. So we almost whisper to them at night while they like, you know, asleep that, you know, when you wake up, you'll see there's a lot of people around. That's because there's a, there's, uh, you know, a, a funeral that's about to take place. You know, mommy or daddy won't be back anymore. They aren't here anymore. So, you know, so, I, I, I wonder about the link with now speaking that honestly to a child while they're in their sleep so that perhaps it reaches their subconscious or whatever and maybe not speaking to them versus speaking to them really like in the conscious realm where it's like they're quite awake and they can, you know, hear you. So I, I wonder about that, but it's, it's interesting that you say like the best solution is just be honest with your child, tell them what it is. Obviously don't be graphic about it, but just be clear. You know, be clear. Uh, sometimes I guess we underestimate what our children are actually seeing and understanding. And we may think we're protecting them, but they already know what's going on. We're thinking for them. Like, oh, well, my child can't know that. Oh, well, it's back at the ranch. Your child knows exactly what's going on. <laughs> you know? 
Definitely. And I think our kids are notorious for that. Yeah. That, that they often know more and understand far more than we anticipate or give them credit for. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's a danger when it comes to having to have difficult conversations as well, because we do make assumptions about what they do and don't know. Sure. And I think it goes both ways. Sometimes we assume they don't have the knowledge and understanding. And I think sometimes we assume that they're they're getting more of what's happening around them. And so we don't need to be so direct and so specific in our language. Sure. But because they're still little and their brains are still developing, they can't put the pieces together as accurately as we can. Sure. And so we need to give them, give them the steps in the language to do that. Um, And it's so interesting when you spoke about, you know, speaking to the child while they're sleeping. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's incredible. I didn't, I didn't know that. So you taught me something. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it actually speaks to one of our other recommendations that we always give parents around when you talk to your child about death, which is to prepare them sure. as much as you can sure. for what's going to happen. So if there's a funeral, what's that going to look like? Are people coming to the house? Who's coming to the house? Why are they coming to the house? Yeah. What might that feel like? You know, I've just told you, Daddy died. You're really upset. You're really confused. And yeah. actually, we have 10 people arriving in an hour. Yeah. What might that be like for you? Sure. And to actually try and prepare them as much as you can for what's going to come, especially like in the, in the immediate future. Yeah, of course. That. Of course. Because, I mean, you can imagine... Um, just like one minute everything is fine and then the next minute everything has changed but not only has everything changed now there's like hundreds and hundreds of people coming to the house every day for like a full week and then back to reality so it's a lot of like as you're saying preparation you as an adult are also experiencing this thing that is bigger than you and then now you have to carry this child through that as well and I'm just thinking now about that concept of death and being exposed to it so young. Uh, a lot of us were just kind of expected to figure it out. Sadly, you know, I mentioned earlier how, you know, my parents struggled with uh, explaining death to us as their kids. I mean, we would just sort of like find out, like we'd come home and just see people like, okay, what's going on? Then it'd be like, oh yeah, uh, uncle, blah, blah, blah. We never, I think only once were we given a sit down, like this is what happened and this is what's going to proceed. What, but every other time we just had to figure it out, which is extremely stressful and extremely confusing as a child, just to try and piece things together. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, but as an, as an adult now, I, I never want to put my children through that. And, you know, my hope is, is, is f- for the audience at home as well. If you're listening to this and perhaps you've experienced this, this is something that you can change and undo and unlearn so that your kids and the generations to follow can also do better. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, when you go to Google and you type, you know, how to deal with death, the first thing, you know, it'll tell you, oh, there's this different stages of grief. It's denial, it's anger, it's guilt, it's depression, and then it's acceptance. It's, it's long, it's different for everybody. It's extremely unique, but because a developing child may not really understand the concept of death, what kind of emotions do they commonly express uh, in the early stages as like what, as the idea of death really sinks in? Like what are the signs where you see that? Okay, cool. This child is going now through these different stages. So the, the first thing I want to comment on that is that, you know, we talk about those stages of grief and what's important to remember is that it really isn't linear. Sure, sure. It's back and forth and upside down and inside out and you move through them constantly. And grief doesn't, doesn't settle like in a gradual way. You know, you might be moving towards acceptance and 
it will hit you all over again when you least expect it. Sure. And that happens for our kids as well. Um, and so especially because of their, their still developing brains, it's important to remember as parents and caregivers for kids that we can't expect them to move through the stages in a linear fashion. So you're going to see some of each of the stages, you're going to see some regression and that's okay. Um, but what we very often see is emotional symptoms, reactions. Um, so very often increased um, tearfulness, crying over yeah. seemingly nothing. You know, they didn't get the juice they wanted and it's like sure. absolute end of the world. Yeah. Um, outbursts. So being a, a bit aggressive when they're upset or throwing tantrums. Um, and then with that, we see the behavioral changes as well. So things like, yes, um, being a bit more aggressive or moodiness changing, um, and just how they act to things, things that they used to enjoy, not so much, um, more aggressive play. Um, and then very often we'll see physical symptoms as well. So you'll have a child complaining okay. of headaches, um, complaining of stomach ache. You'll see that they suddenly not able to concentrate so much or they're not enjoying school as much. Oh, okay. So because they don't have the words necessarily to explain what they're feeling, we see it come out in those kind of aspects or symptoms instead. I get that and I completely agree. But now what if you're in a situation where, you know, now maybe your child is being a bit more aggressive or now at some of the symptoms that you mentioned and perhaps the school also picks up on it and then the school goes, well, something is wrong with your child. Your child is sick. You know, uh, they don't necessarily automatically go to the, Hey, please, is everything okay at home? It's almost always, well, from my experience that something is wrong with your child and there's an issue, you know, how is it, is it clear? Are you, is it quite obvious that, that difference between my child perhaps has ADHD, for example, that's why they're struggling versus they're actually going through something at home. So I wish it was that clear because it would make life so much easier, right? Yeah. Yeah. With teachers in schools and for parents. And so the honest answer is no, it's not. I think we, and this is where knowing your child and hopefully the teachers knowing the kids in their class as well, but really comes into play of, is this how your child is typically? Is this how they were weeks and months yeah. before the death? Yeah. Or is this something we're only seeing after? And if it's something we're only seeing after, we can more likely attribute it to that. And I mean, it's not to say that that's the only thing going on in their life that sure. caused it, but typically something like, um, I'd say more, um, constant difficulties like attention difficulties or ADHD, you'll see quite consistently from before and after the death. Yeah. Like get worse after the death. Yeah. Probably will get worse after the death, but it will have been there to some extent before. So I think what, what we're really looking for there is a shift in behavior. Okay. Something's changed from the sure. child's usual temperament yeah. to what we're seeing today. Okay. No, I get it. I get it. Karen, how, how can parents or guardians like guide children through this process as they grow older? Like, are there real like steps that the parents can take in ensuring that their children are going through this process as effectively as possible? I think the one of the biggest things to remember here as well is that grief is a very normal response to a loss. And so grief in itself isn't bad, right? So it is, like you say, just to make sure that we're supporting the child in in coping with it and adjusting to this this new life without this person. 
Um, and so one of the biggest things that I would say to parents is to validate your child's emotions. Let them know it's okay yeah. to be sad. Yeah. It's okay to be angry and to help them express that appropriately. When we're feeling angry, we can draw a picture or punch a pillow or run around the garden, not hit our friend or our brother. Sure. So sure. to kind of give them, give them appropriate strategies because they might not have them yet. Yeah. And so if we can give them those strategies that will help them work through the emotions more effectively. Um, and I think as well to just be very mindful of what are we expecting from a child? So to not put undue pressure on them of, oh, you need to be strong. Mommy really needs Hey, oh, that one is tough. That one is tough because we say it so much. It just sort of like comes out, like be strong. You'll be okay. It will pass. Things will be fine versus what you're feeling is allowed and it makes sense. I mean, just this week, one of my colleagues uh, sent me some, just like some, some, some help of some information that I can use to get through this grieving process more effectively because it's clear. It's like, it's, it's not, everything's going to be okay. It's what you're feeling is part of the process. Feel it, live in it and just immerse yourself because once you're out, you'll be out. And I appreciated that so much because I feel as though we're all taught to just sort of brush it off and, you know, just everything will be okay. Just keep it moving. You know, you know, just let's keep continuing. Life goes on, which is fine. But we can't, that ultimately what that does is it makes it seem as though how you're feeling is wrong. You know, like you shouldn't be this sad for so long. Be as sad as you want to be for as long as you want. Let it out. Let it, you know, let it out. Let your emotions feel. If you're feeling it, feel it. That's proof that you're still human. It's proof that you, you're still alive. You're with us. You can feel things. So it's just interesting that you, that that's your response. Cause I completely get it. I think, you know, what you're saying now is so accurate. And I, I mean, I can speak from personal experience as well, that that's how many of us were brought up. Sure. Life goes on. Yeah. You'll be fine. You don't need to cry about that. Exactly. Or, um, you know, but, but just think about, think about the good times you had with that person. Yeah. And yes, all of that is true. Like you say, life does go on. You did have good time. Yes to all of that. Sure. And you're sitting with really hard emotions that are real and valid and normal. And we need to let our kids express those. Sure. I think, you know, you spoke about how, how do we help our kids through this most effectively? And I think most effectively is exactly what you've said now is we let them feel. Yes. And we teach them that having, having feelings, big feelings, uncomfortable feelings, hard feelings yes. is okay. And we give them the tools to sit with those feelings. I often, I often smile when I say it to parents because as adults, we don't like sitting with hard feelings. Sure. We don't like sitting with uncomfortable, icky oh, feelings. Yeah. Because we were never given the tools to do it. Exactly. So let's do better for our kids. Yes. And give them the tools. Yes. So that they can sit with, I'm sad. Yes. It sucks. I don't, I don't like life without this person. Yes. And I'll figure out how to manage going forward. Karen, what are some of those tools? I know it's broad and I know it, it, it'll never be the same for every situation. But if we're caught between a rock and a hard place and our child is now suffering this, well, not suffering, but experiencing this emotion, what are some of the better tools that we can impart on them to better manage? So one of them is definitely what we've been saying already, which is to talk about it. 
to be able to say this is how I'm feeling. Sure. Even if they don't want to say why or go into the detail. And obviously this is age dependent, but to give them the language. Yes. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. Sure. Because just giving their feeling a name gives them some control over it ah. and makes it something they can manage. Sure. Um, and then to, f- to give them ways to express it. So if they're feeling sad, they, they're allowed to cry. That's okay. They're allowed to, you know, take five minutes outside when they're getting frustrated. Um, So some of the things that work really nicely for kids, particularly around death, um, is things like drawing a picture for the loved one when they miss them. Or if they're older, writing a letter. Um, And what we also often recommend is if children make like a scrapbook or a treasure box for that person. Sure. And so when they miss them, they can write them a letter or, you know, if they're out at the shops and they see something that reminds them of them, they can buy it and put it in the box. So it's a way for them to still feel that connection with the person. Sure. That's so, that's so precious. Yeah. I must say, I I get goosebumps now thinking about it because I've seen it work so beautifully. Yeah. So many times. Um, and then I want to say that the simple, obvious things like, like exercise, Lena Chago, jump on a trampoline. Sure. Take them for a walk around the garden. Yeah. Um, for a lot of my kids, and and again, there's a reason. But playing with their pets. Yeah. Patting the dog or yeah. throwing the ball with them. Yeah. Um, just those kind of very naturally regulating activities that that we all use on an everyday basis. Sure. If you're feeling stressed, you go walk around the garden. Yeah. So let's teach our kids that they yeah. can do it now already. And I like that. I like that because it sort of attaches an activity to an emotion, right? So it's almost I, when I'm feeling a certain way, I know what the solution is. Like in the, in the medical world, it's when you've got a headache, you take a tablet, you know, and you'll feel better. It's almost that. Like what is the, the remedy for this emotion? The remedy is to your tantrum is to go jump on the trampoline. I love that. I am going to use that. <laughs> I'm so glad. I am taking notes. <laughs> and and I love that analogy of the headache and, and the remedy. Yes. That's that's exactly what it is. And that's yes. what we want to teach our kids. Exactly. And we want them to be able to use that at home and at school. Yes. You know, I often say, if if a child looks at you and says, I need a break and walks away, well, I mean, how amazing that they could identify that. Exactly. Half the adults I know would get into an argument. Yeah. But here you have a little one going, hey, I need a time out. Yeah, like I'm actually tired. Can I take some time? That's very nice, actually. It makes parenting a lot easier. Because what we do as parents is really just trying to figure out half the time what's wrong with these kids or what's right with them or what they need. You know, at least with babies, it can only be three things. (laughs) Either nappy change, either food, or they're tired. That is just three things that you need to deal with for the first, like, year of their lives after that you are screwed because <laughs> the list just gets longer and longer and longer of things you're trying to figure out yes and like you say it's all on you to figure it out exactly so they have the language exactly to explain it to you but they'll only have that language if you started giving it to them exactly. from the beginning oh. if at three and four you're giving them the vocabulary of yes. i'm sad i'm angry yes. i feel cross i need a break yes. i need a drink of water. Sure. If you start giving them the language, they'll have it to use later, which yes. will obviously help them and make your life a little bit easier. Yes. A little well. bit versus a lot. <laughs> I dig that. I dig that. So Karen, let's, let's look at maybe like the older kids now. Let's say you're in school and you know, um, you're seeing other kids with both their parents. They have mommy and daddy or in the parking lot, their parents are both fetching them or there's other social gatherings where like, some kids just have mommy and daddy and you maybe just have one. 
Now, what information or action can parents or guardians use to help fill this gap in uh, supporting, especially like the little bit old of like the older kids who can clearly see that, okay, something is different between me and the other kids around me? It again comes down largely to understanding the child's experience of that. Um, because it is, it's incredibly hard to see your friends around you have the family structure you once did. And, and you're already feeling that loss and it's almost like salt in the wound. Sure, right? sure. Um, and so the one thing I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's because it's always the answer is, is to validate sure. that experience for that child that it yeah. is hard and it's horrible and life does look different now. And that doesn't, that doesn't make it easy. It just, it just is, unfortunately. And it's then about helping them navigate that. And that again can look different. So in some cases, you know, again, just talking it through, being able to express that frustration and that just, you know, like unfairness very often will help. But then again, doing things like writing a letter to the person, um, you know, if it was an event at school, I often think about things like a granny's tea. You know, where, where some kids don't have their grannies to be able to come to that. Yeah. Um, to be able to write a letter to granny about what it would have been like to have her there and put it in the treasure box. Yeah. Um, and I think something else that, that we can do is give our children the option of if they want to include someone else, um, not to replace that person. Sure. But, but just to have another person there. So. Maybe they have a favorite aunt that they'd really like to fetch them. Yeah. Now and again, just, you know, just to make it a bit easier or something like that. And to really follow the child's lead in that sense of not trying to replace that person. But is there someone else that you would like us to have more involved in your life just to settle, settle the change a little bit? Sure. Sure. Speaking of having an extra person or somebody else, you know, external family members are always helpful in situations where you can't do everything alone and having that support structure is is amazing it's a blessing i'm always so grateful to know that if i'm unable i've got my mom or i've got my my mother-in-law there's just people that are able to fill in and do certain things but just before we started the show um we spoke about intentional parenting and I told you that this is like my, this is my mantra. This is my vice. Like I am that kind of parent that is extremely intentional. I don't just let things happen. I try to make sure that things happen in the way that I would prefer just because I, I want what's best for my children. And what, what happens if you're in a situation where you involve these extra people into your little household ecosystem, but they are not on the same page. So you as a parent, you know that, okay, cool. This is how I'm dealing with, uh, what has happened in my family. This is how we're maneuvering it with my child. But let me bring in uncle, blah, blah, blah to assist us. But uncle, blah, blah, blah is just going on with life, you know, not being as intentional as you are because for them, it's not their child. It's your child, but they're here to help you. How do you now, you know, manage that where you're bringing in an adult to potentially take, you know, not replace, but fill in on certain gaps like you just previously mentioned so that the child can obviously like still get, you know, all the attention that they need, all the fix that they need. But how do you get that fam- external family member sort of like on board with how things are going? Cause you know how it is. Like some people are raised in a certain way and then they'll want to raise everybody's kids that way. <laughs> you know, even if the way that they were raised wasn't the right way for them, it is the only way. 
you know, not knowing that you're allowed to unlearn certain things and try new things out. How do you manage that? I think the, the biggest thing there is going to come down to communication with that person and being very clear from the outset of, of the relationship or of them coming into your, your family system of, you know, this is, this is what I need from you. Are you able to meet these needs? And, yeah. and it's okay if they're not, but then let's know that up front. Sure. So we can navigate that. Sure. Um, and I think sometimes it's almost intentionally parenting that person. <laughs> okay. So having another child. <laughs> you're, you're just bringing in another child to help you with your children. Sure. Sure. Um, but to, you know, to be able to say to them, this is, this is how I parent. Sure. And this is why I do it. Sure. And these are some of the strategies that I found really work with my kids. Because at the end of the day, they're your kids. You do know them best. Exactly. Um, and you know, to be able to say when, when Jane is upset, I've really found that letting her go take 10 minutes in her room and write in her journal that, that really works for her. So if she's getting upset, maybe suggest that. And so you can almost, and that's where I say intentionally parent them. You can almost equip them yes. with what works. Yes, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I think the, the truth is, is sometimes it's about cost versus benefits. Sometimes they aren't going to do things the way you want or need. But the reality is you need them because you can't do everything on your own. Sure. And oh. so then it's just a balance of of how much are you willing to sacrifice and how much are they willing to come to the party and do things your way, even if they prefer to do it their way. Like, <laughs> Karen, have you met? There's mothers and fathers out there. Our, our parents were tough, hey? That generation is so hell-bent on the things that they know and what they've been taught. That is the only way. There's no other way. It is literally like maybe some of the most difficult things I've ever experienced in my life is having these quarrels with my own mother where I'm like, mom, this is how I want to raise my children. Um, let's try this. So I've tried to be intentional. I've been an intentional parent to my own mother about how I want her to assist me in parenting my kids. And it never works out. She's just not going to hear it. She always says, well, look at how you turned out. You and your brothers turned out just fine. And I'm like, did we though? <laughs> isn't that, did we? So isn't that always it? Hey, is that, oh, but you turned out fine. I'm like, well, I mean, you might think so, but like I'm in therapy for stuff. So sure, actually not. So actually not. <laughs> like I'm seeing, I'm a, I'm seeing a therapist for the fourth year in a row because I'm not okay. And uh, it's just, it's funny. It's funny just having to maneuver through, you know, different circumstances with different generations. It's, it's, it's quite something, but I would say, you know, keep on keeping on. If you are not willing to, change your mind, then go for it. Go for it. Because it's your child at the end of the day and nobody's going to love your child like you are. So Karen, I just want to speak about step parenting. Yes. Uh, just because it's, it's more and more common. We're seeing a lot more mixed families. Um, these days, I know there's like all sorts of terms for them, but just families where there's a stepmom or a stepdad or two moms or two dads or just like stepkids. There's a lot, you know, we all really are a mixed, most of us are in mixed family situations. And in a case where there has been a death in the family, where does a step parent come in? Is there like a line that shouldn't be crossed by the step parent? Uh, because I mean, it's, it's, Essentially, life does go on, as we've mentioned, and as that, uh, as the one party who has lost a partner or a husband or a wife, 
you hope that eventually you'll be able to move on with your life and find love again and, 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 and. And in the case that that does happen, the child is obviously sitting there like, oh, it's like that. I mean, you've seen the movies where, <laughs> you know, mommy gets remarried two weeks later after daddy's funeral and you're like, what? And, you know, the parent may say, this is for comfort or this is how they deal with it. You can never, but the child gets affected. So how does this, the introduction of a step parent work? And I almost want to ask like about the time frame, although it's unique to every situation, but yeah, it's a reality. And how does that have a direct effect on this, this child involved? So I think the, the introduction of a step parent is, is one thing already. When that then happens because of a death, I think everything is almost amplified. But the, the comments I'm going to make actually apply to both. Um, and the first, the first one is that the introduction of the step parent should always be with, with having the child's best interests in mind. So if you're introducing a new partner to your child, are you doing that for you or are you doing it because the child's ready? Triggers, triggers, Karen is triggering us. <laughs> and, and that again comes down to what we said earlier about as a parent sitting with the hard stuff. But as a parent asking yourself the hard questions. Sure. Um, you know, and there are ways to have a relationship, a romantic relationship as an adult without it interfering in your parent-child relationship and definitely up and, you know, keeping them separate until both parties are ready to meet one another. Ah, okay. And you asked about a time frame and you're right. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, the one thing we always say, though, is to not introduce children to multiple partners. Oh. So the child, you, you introduce oh. a partner. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. Yeah. No, look, I'm triggered. I'm absolutely triggered right now because this is like quite literally the exact, the, the thing I'm experiencing right now. Um, my, the father of my son, uh, unfortunately, sadly lost his partner last year. And my son was quite involved in her life where she almost, you know, took the role of stepmom and, um, they'd been together for some time. So she, you know, I had even met her. Things were cool. And sadly she, she, she passed away and literally like, a month later, he had then introduced my son to a whole new person. And I raised my concerns. I was like, I don't know if this is right. You know, is, is, is the child going to understand this? Like my first thing was, how did you explain her passing to him? And he just, he kind of said he, he told him that she's no longer here. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I just kind of trusted him to do it, but I was worried. And then when he came back like this after another visit, he's like, yeah, and then I met my new auntie, blah, blah. I was like, oh my word, are you serious? So now that you're saying this, I'm like, ha, I knew I'm not crazy. <laughs> I knew I'm not crazy. Like it's, it's confusing for a child for them to see that many people. It's a really, really difficult situation to navigate. And I think even more so like in this case where, where it's not your relationship. So sure. You have even less control yes. over what happens. Um, so, I mean, as we, we generally say to parents, if you're going to introduce your partner to the child, it needs to be because you know the relationship's going to last. Sure. This is a long-term thing. Yeah. This isn't every week I have a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend and here they are. Um, and, and that is, that is to give the child a sense of consistency, consistency and stability. Um, and, and to be very mindful of 
it takes time to build trust and sure. to remember, you know, we've been talking this morning about grief that the child is going to grieve the loss of their intact family unit. And that happens in the case of divorce. Yeah. But now in the case of a death, it's, it's almost like a double whammy. Sure. Loss, right? Sure. Cause now my family doesn't look the way it did. And I lost someone in that process. Yeah. And now there's this new person. Yeah. Yo, that's a lot. It's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. And so it's, it's important to give the child space to, to work through that and to be able to express those feelings and to make sure that as a parent, you're still having one-on-one time with the child. Yes. That that new person is an addition sometimes to family things. Sure. Um, especially in the beginning, but that they're not overshadowing or taking you away from the child. Exactly. Ha. Exactly. I am taking notes. I'm literally writing all of this down because this is something that I need. I need to know this. And, um, I know that there's, there's a couple of celebrities as well who, when they, um, when they sign their divorce, like papers and like some of this, the settlement rules, I guess, and there's children involved. They write that, you know, you, you, sh- you cannot introduce the child to your new partner until such a time where you're either engaged to that person or like married to them. And I think that makes total sense because sadly what relationships and love over time have become is that, you know, there's this thing of like people, you can just change people all the time. And that's when there's a child involved, it's dangerous. What are you exposing your children to? What is the idea of love that they are seeing? So for them, if they grew up in a household where, you know, there's like stepmom is maybe like different all the time, their idea of how to treat and love women is completely screwed. So I think that's definitely, that's definitely an element to always be aware of is in our relationships, we are also being a role model for our kids. Sure. So what kind of marriage or relationship do you want them to have and, and to see and to grow up m- modeling or admiring, right? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's again, one of those things that's so difficult to navigate because it's yeah. balancing. And I've had parents as well um, in the practice where there are clauses in the settlement agreement regarding when new partners can be introduced. Sure. And it's on the one hand, it's such a pity we have to put things like that in place. But at the same time, I completely understand why parents do it. Um, and it's again that, that balance, because if this, if this is your long-term partner, this is going to last, you want them to have a relationship with your child. Of course. You want your child to stop being comfortable with them, to have again, a relationship be involved. And so you don't want to withhold that. Sure. And also for you as an adult, you want to be able to spend time with your partner and your child. And, you know, have, have good experiences and opportunities to connect together. Um, and so it's just about balancing that with, with the child's needs over your own. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I think I should, uh, I, I actually have a brother who would see, like purposefully see his children separately from his, his girlfriend. And, you know, I used to judge him and be like, Oh, but why wouldn't he want to spend time with his kids and his girlfriend so that they could get to know him? Blah, 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 blah. But I'm seeing now that by him making that decision, it had nothing to do with living separate lives, but it had more to do with this is my time for my kids and perhaps this is my time for my partner. And when he's ready, he will then, you know, introduce everybody to everyone. So sorry, bro. Uh, if you're listening. <laughs> 
not sorry, brother. I love you and I, I misunderstood your situation, but I now see that with you being that intentional, it was actually really to protect your children. Um, from whatever. So love you. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> Karen, um, geez, time flies so much, uh, when we at Life with LeBanc just having these chilled conversations. But, uh, last question before you go. Now, let's say everything is going well. You have gone through this process with the child and a couple of years have gone by and you've now found a partner and everything is going well. The child has even met the, the step parents and everything is going fine. How does now the step parent get to know the child considering the situation, considering and knowing that they don't want to replace anyone, but also knowing that there's a role that they need to play moving forward? What are the, the best ways for a step parent to enter into a situation of this nature? For me, the biggest thing would be developing a relationship with the child based on the child's interests and needs, not the other parents. Sure. So figuring out how, how can you and the child connect? What interests do you share? What activities can you do together? Um, and with that, being very mindful of letting the child invite you into the space. So not to force interactions or force. Yeah. Yeah. So almost over involvement before they're ready, but to kind of, provide a space and create a space where you're curious about them and their interests and their school and their friends. Sure. Um, and let them give you that information because as soon as you put the ball in their court in terms of control, they can develop the relationship at their pace and they, they also learn they can trust you because yeah. you're not forcing yourself into their life. Sure. You're, you're just there for when, when they're ready to let you in. Um, so that's quite a broad answer. But I think that's, that's what it will come down to nine times out of 10 is being there when the child wants to let you in. Sure. Just waiting for them to say, okay, the door's open. Yeah. You may enter. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, Karen, unfortunately, that's all the time we've got for today, which sucks. I wish we could talk all day, but um, it is what it is. If somebody is listening out there, they want to connect with you and they want to, you know, uh, find out more about uh, the Child's Play Therapy Center, obviously that you're the owner of, and they just want to get more of your help. Where can they find you online and stuff like that? So we have our website, www.childsplaytherapy.co.za. Um, okay. And we also are on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Um, so they're welcome to reach out. We have a team of psychologists, all with different areas of interest, um, and all always happy to help. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here and uh, talking to us again. I hope that, um, if ever you're in a situation where you are struggling and you don't know what to do, my hope is that today's episode can be a guide for you to unpacking the concept of death to a child. And if you know somebody that is currently going through this, share the link with them, equip them with the right tools that they could use right now in going through this process. Uh, because that's life. I believe that life is a, it's a learning, it's a constant learning experience. I mean, we all like sandpaper to each other and we just, every interaction we have, every conversation we have, everything we expose ourselves to is that sandpaper just rubbing off like literally that's the sound of the sandpaper by the way that's literally the sound that it makes so make sure that that sandpaper is of value and that it's good and that it's uplifting and that it's positive because it could really be the difference between you knowing what you're doing and you completely crumbling so 
yeah, I think that's the end of our episode today. Thank you to Karen for being here today. She is the educational psychologist and the owner of Child's Play Therapy Center. So do check them out online. Give her a shout on social media. And if there's something that you're struggling with, you are more than welcome to contact me directly. I'm on Facebook. Just type in Leban Khosana. I've got a page there. Send me your questions for Karen. Send me your story. Um, I do want to get you help and this is really a safe space. <laughs> it's a safe space. There's no judgment here, unless you're my brother. <laughs> Kidding. Thank you so much. Um, it's been awesome. We're back next week for another episode of Life with Lebang, brought to you by the one, the only, cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.